what David writes in Psalm 11, verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity together with my church, Father God, to conduct this uh, Wednesday night Bible study, Father God. I pray, Lord, that I have prepared myself, God, that I'm ready to come in and to preach this, Father God. I thank you, Lord, for sending my brother so faithfully, Father God, to, to sit with me during this time, Father God. Um, I appreciate so much, God, their sacrifices to be away from their families, Father God. And at the same time, Father God, I, I really, God, am, am so thankful, Father God, for the support and the encouragement that they give, Father God, in person while I do this. But, Father God, I also thank you for each and every one, Father God, who joins us on Wednesday night uh, to celebrate God's word, Father God. I pray, Lord, that I am here and sacrificially, Father God, ready to preach, Father, um, because, God, first and foremost, uh, you deserve it, Father God. The glory, God, is all yours. But also, Father God, there's so many people who come, Father God, who listen who watch, Father God, and who want the Word of God, Father God, to be um, exposited on these nights, Father God. So please, Father God, I pray now, God, that as we come together that that you will guide us, Father God. The Holy Spirit, He is so much greater, Father God, than, than, than ourselves, Father, and that He is... Uh, infinitely with each and every one of us, Father, now as we gather, Father God. So guide us, Lord, into understanding. Open hearts wide, Father, so that we can hear, Father God, and bless us, Lord, to see the power of Christ in every single verse, Father God. We love you, Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Um, so the, the, uh, the, the idea we get or the question is that the foundations are destroyed. What can the righteous do? And I would have to ask that question. Are the foundations being undermined? I, I don't want to preach to the moment, but in so many ways, every sermon is the captive of the moment, isn't it? Every sermon is not just contextually within the scriptures or contextually within the life of the church, but every sermon is contextually within the time period in which it's preached. I'm preaching in the middle of a global pandemic, and, and there's nothing I can do about that. I can ignore it and act like it doesn't matter because over the long term, it, it matters a lot less than we make it matter, to be honest with you. Over the long term, the gospel is still the gospel. Even if the world around us changes, Brother Brian, a great deal, the fact of the matter is the gospel is still the gospel. The, the world has changed before, hasn't it, brother? And it's going to change again. Um, I think we can be a little, for lack of a better term, freaked out because we do feel like there are not just changes being made, but brothers, radical changes. That the world afterwards may not look exactly like the world before. Before. Um, I've, we've seen this before. I think for, for some of us who are maybe not, maybe a little younger, um, I always think back to 9-11. Was that one day everything was one way and the next morning we got up and it was completely different. We lived in a radically different world. Politically, geopolitically, the world had just changed. And if you think about it, the world that was before 9-11 ceased to exist. And since the day that planes flew into the World Trade Center, the world is that way now. For, for 20 years, the world is that world. And it hasn't reverted back. The players have changed, haven't they? But the mindset nationally, politically, has not, has not reverted back. It is the same. In some ways, it, it has been more sharpened, maybe. Maybe more sharpened. So we understand that when the world around us changes, a lot of us get a little antsy, anxious about that. Look, in the midst of time of a time of trouble and sorrow that may continue for months or years, and that's another aspect of it that I don't want to be an alarmist or anything like that. But but it, increasingly, as I look and as I pray and as I meditate, I get the feeling that that the world we're living in right now, this kind of change, 
uh, may last a little bit longer than we think. I don't think, brothers, we're going to look up one of these days and just at the snap of a finger or some type of, of presidential or uh, a gubernatorial decree, all of a sudden we just go back to the world we were in. I just don't feel like that's going to happen. I feel like some of the, some of the changes, I saw this the other day in, in reading, and it was that there were some things that are part of Western culture that may cease to exist, and one of those is the handshake. That out of this we may lose the handshake. And if you think about it, I can't re- I don't shake hands very often anymore. I used to shake hands all the time. I used to hug all the time. That's what kind of people we are, right? And we haven't had that physical contact, and that it may be that we see a societal replacement for the handshake. Something comes about that replaces what has been part of us for hundreds of years. The idea of, of, of grasping hands. So when we see a change like that, then we understand that these changes could be long in their nature, right? And so I would want to prepare for that, but at the same time, I want to seek some biblical wisdom about it first, because I think this is, once again, this is David's fear. Foundations are being destroyed. What do the righteous do when those things they depend on are destroyed? And so we, we need to approach that. Um, a, a worldwide economic and social upheaval that stands to change how everyone works, teaches, interacts, and worships. Now, in the, in the light of that, many of us are deeply concerned about the future and the underpinnings of our society. There are a lot of us that are looking very deeply into this. I, and I get it. I do, I do the same thing. The, the more I get older, the more I, I, I really test those things, Brother Kyle. The more I look at them and I wonder, what's it going to be like afterwards? Where do we go from here? I, I get that. Um, Paul's words, however, should steady our hearts. When he wrote in Galatians 6, 9, he said, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So the one task we have through this is to, to make it through, is to not give up. We still have um, uh, a, a call. We still have commands and responsibilities. Trying in desperate times should make us determined to do the will of God and to bless others as we are commanded by Christ. It's harder, and I'll be the first to admit, it is when you can't go and you can't do, it's very easy to get caught in kind of a a depressive haze. Do you know what I mean by that? Where you know you should be doing something, but it's just like all the energy has been taken out. Or your energy's thrown into busyness. As I said, I walk out and look at, look at the garden 30 times a day. Like it's grown inches in the 45 minutes I sat inside. So instead of being led to do substantive things, sometimes we just, I guess, do the, uh, the equivalent of, of biting our fingernails. We, 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 we do things that accomplish nothing. But the God's very, very clear. Um, for us, the commands haven't changed at all. The circumstances have changed greatly, but the commands have not been altered. Um, there is no shelter-at-home order for the gospel. The gospel is beyond our governments. And so for that reason, we need to, to continue to seek ways um, to, to fulfill those commandments. Look, along the way, it's proper that we pray and we seek the will of Christ and forging ahead into an uncertain future. The author, Madeline Langle, wrote this. She said, it's a good thing to have all the props pulled out from under us occasionally. It gives us some sense of what is rock under our feet and what is sand. It's a good thing to be forced to change. It's a good thing to be forced to look at everything that we've done because we will very much, won't we gentlemen, become creatures of rut. 
where we've done it exactly the same way. Uh, Brother Kyle, every preparation is the same way. Brother Brian, every prayer is the same way. It happens, doesn't it? We become people of rut. We've, we've, we've experienced what we feel is maybe some success in it, and we're afraid to change anything. And Langle said it's a really good thing for us that, that everything changes around us because we're forced to be um, inventive, to be innovative. We must always remind ourselves that the future is really not uncertain at all. It's just unknown to us because we are finite. The future is set in stone. God knows every single second of the future. It is not outside of His purvey. It is set by Him. His will will prevail always. The future upon which we depend and over which we pine is constrained always by the promises of God. We know what the future is going to be like because God, who never fails and never lies, has promised us certain things, hasn't He? He has told us things that will be true. Promises such as those made through Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's a binding promise. God makes that promise to His covenant people. And He will not go back on His Word. We know what the future is going to look like. It's, a, it's welfare. It's future hope. It's not evil. It's what's good for us. We know what we're going to get when we get to the future. It may not always be what we like. But brothers, I have confidence it will be absolutely what we need. The ground in which the church is being replanted right now is fertile ground. Hey, I might not like it. The future might be an iPhone for a long time. The future might be a video for a long time. But the reality is this, that God didn't lead us to this because He knew it would hurt the church. God put us in this because He knew it would help the church. Either it would shake me and you and all of us out of a rut that we'd been in for decades, or it would open up new territory that we never thought we could go into. But one way or the other, God's not mistaken doing what He's doing. He's doing exactly what we need. Look, in the throes of challenges to our state, nation, and the world, which are unprecedented, unprecedented within our lifetime, as believers in Christ, the notion of surrendering to fear should be anathema to our nature. I understand it's so easy at times like this to be afraid. We cannot surrender to fear. Fear is, after all, the mind killer. Fear will destroy us in the long run. We cannot surrender to fear. The Scriptures are clear that the covenantal relationship of provision and protection which the church enjoys is not fleeting or wavering. When God promises to protect us and provide for us, He means long term. He means in the midst of famine. He means in the midst of disease or warfare or cataclysm. He's going to provide for us. We will not be left out. And simply put, we will not do without. There's no way. God has made those promises and they are rock solid and they are hardwired into the will and purpose of God who died to pay the penalty for sin and to van vanquish the enemy at our gates. God has overcome all of this already, including death, being made a footstool. Look, though they were cast out of the promised land and cut off from the realization of their covenant standing with God, the Lord illustrates this point of faithfulness to His church by saying in Ezekiel eleven sixteen, Thus says the Lord God, Though I removed them far off from the nations, 
And though I scattered them among the countries, yet I've been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. So God's promise is that even, even for the Israelites in the depth of their punishment, in the midst of the Babylonian captivity, when the diaspora was scattered, literally would be scattered throughout the nations, he, His promises are that for a covenant people, He is what? A sanctuary. So in the midst of our darkness right now, God's promises to a covenant people, to the covenant people, the church, is that He is what? Our sanctuary. And I know we've gathered in a building. But it's funny that we should be forced to acknowledge today that though we're gathered in the building, the sanctuary is God and He is everywhere. The sanctuary is right now with the church. Even in the darkest pit of suffering and shame, Christ our Redeemer is the sanctuary in which we all dwell. Never are we alone or abandoned, defenseless or overwhelmed. Always the men and women of God will find refuge in the Lord who loves them and died for their sins. We are never abandoned, we are never defenseless, we are never overwhelmed. We will always find our refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand this, that our bond to Christ is an unbreakable imperative and an eternal obligation. He has bound Himself to us and bound us to Himself. The Lord God who is infinitely perfect and infinitely righteous, has honor-bound Himself to His church. So we don't have to look any farther than the one on whom we should base all of our peace and all of our joy. He's ready and willing to extend every iota of His infinite power to deliver us and protect us. In the hymn, We Shall Overcome by Charles Albert Tindley, it's written the following lines, The world is one great battlefield. With forces all arrayed. If in my heart I do not yield, I'll overcome someday. Look, absolutely, guys, the world around us is the great battlefield of our time. And I think that's an exciting thing to say. It may very well be that, that those battle lines for us and for our lives and our ministries and for the ministry of this church and everyone who listens are being drawn out right now. That maybe we were a for lack of a better term, a lost generation that didn't have a defining work to do. We had one, the gospel, don't get me wrong. But maybe we didn't understand it as we should. Maybe once the the blinders were on of the times now, that we can see before us exactly what God wants us to do. Maybe right now we are more focused than we've ever been in preaching the gospel. Maybe right now we're more focused than we've ever been in witnessing the gospel through every opportunity we get. Maybe right now, and I think this is the best thing in the world, we are more focused on family, on increasing the, the, the faithfulness of the family than we've ever been. We've ever been. I'll tell you what, before this, it was very common for, for ministerial staff and preaching staff to, to focus on the family of God and neglect those who lived in their houses. Our whole world are those who live in our houses. In fact, how many days go by that we don't see anybody else but somebody that lives in the house with us? This is not just for us, this is for every single family in this church. All of a sudden, our whole emphasis are the ones that God gave to us. That doesn't make us selfish. That means that the the foundation, the 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 that means that the 
that the work that the church has been called to do is now made even stronger. Because the families that support that work are even stronger. That to, to stay home with my kids and pour into my kids is not a waste of my day, but it is, I've been blessed with days. I've been blessed with days to be with my family that I never had before, that I could have never taken because I had to be out and, and earn a living. So it very well may, may be, and I understand there are plenty of people listening to this right now who aren't able to do this, and, and for that, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that they are, that they are deemed essential. I'm so thankful that they go forth and they do that work that is so precious for us. I thank you for all of those who do that. But understand this, for those of us who have been left at home, we are not, our work is not worth less, it is worthwhile. Our work is, is vital too. The work that we do in our homes today, folks, is essential. Just like every other matter of essential work. If the world's our battlefield, then we've been given the opportunity to really prepare for that battle. This is a work of dedication, of ingenuity and stubbornness, and also a work of risk. We're going to be required at times in the midst of this to take risks, brother. The risk is always worth the reward in the kingdom. At all costs of life, property, and standing, we must not yield to the forces in front of us. Folks, fight for your faith. Fight for your marriage. Fight for the future of your children in Christ. Fight for the lost around us. And fight for the future. Do this and through Christ we will overcome. Look, what are men and women of Christ in this culture to do when the foundations of our lives are undercut or destroyed by the shifting circumstances of the advance of time? What's it, what do we do when we feel like everything that we counted on for a long time is just being washed out from under us like sand in a rainstorm? What are the foundations by which the men and women of God should live? I think that's the deeper question. So if we feel like the foundations are washing out front of underneath us, if we feel like David's words in 11 are true, in 11.3 are true, then is it that we are building on the wrong foundations? I, you know, both these questions are vital as we discuss them tonight. In Jeremiah 9.24, the words of God draw our focus on the presence of the Savior as a guiding light. If we want to know where the foundation is, it's on Christ. This is what Jeremiah says, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. There's the foundation. Now we're going to explore it a little bit deeper. But there's the foundation. The foundation is in knowing our God. That if I have built my life on anything else. Now understand this. I don't think, I think there's a difference between a sinful building of a life on things we should never have cared about. And being unwittingly dependent upon some things that we shouldn't have been dependent upon. And I think there's where a lot of us lie. I think a lot of us have, uh, have fallen into the trap of, of trusting Christ with our salvation, but secretly, or not secretly, brothers, needing something 
else to go along with that so they could sleep good at night. Christ is the foundation of my faith as long as, and that is great, and I'm okay as long as my kids aren't sick. Or as long as, as I have enough money to cover the bills. Or as long as work is alright. I think we could very easily be caught in that trap where it's not Christ and something else for our salvation, but it's Christ and something else for our peace. For our peace. That it's either Christ that for, and, so, and nothing else for our salvation. And it must be for our success, Christ and nothing else for our tranquility. Our surety and peace are found only in Christ and in nothing that this world provides. If we lose everything, absolutely everything, like some of these people in the storm have recently lost literally every possession. If we tomorrow lose every, every possession, then Christ is still just as good tomorrow as He is today. The source of our peace is just as solid tomorrow as He is today. I fear that the men, that men and women who claim Jesus as Savior and Lord have begun to depend upon earthly matters for their tranquility. Now, despite the teaching of Scripture, men and women of Christ can regard things which are of no value as precious. And likewise, we are capable of neglecting the eternally consequential. There, there's probably the greatest problem that I notice. Just as a, as a, man, uh, as, as a man of God uh, and a leader in the church. Is that... Is that not only can we neglect the most precious things, we can start to regard some things as precious that are not. There can be, as, as John Piper would say, a dark exchange. Where we're trading something of value for something that's worthless. Because we've convinced ourselves that either we can take the thing of value for granted. And that that thing that's worthless is really more precious or more needed. Or more needed than it should be. We are capable of neglecting the eternally consequential. Look, there are four aspects we must consider tonight. Aspect number one. To fail to elevate Christ to His proper place in our lives jeopardizes the security that we experience as believers. It does not jeopardize us eternally, but it jeopardizes us temporally. What I mean is this, is that because I have neglected the weightier matters of Christ, I can very easily find myself in a place in which I have no peace. Which I have no peace. And, when I, and, and deeply desiring of peace. Look, when our eyes are fixed on Christ and His Word, peace abounds. When we are distracted or dismayed by the desires or cares of this world, then trouble always brews. Moses records in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 18 through 20. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze and your strength shall be spent in vain for your land shall not yield its increase and the fruit of the land shall not yield their fruit simply put Moses says to fail to listen when God speaks one of the pillars of our peace and tranquility is that we are those who listen when God speaks if I listen when God speaks my life is going to be on sure footing not shifting sands. When I ignore when God speaks, I am always going to be like the blind man fumbling around in the dark. 
To fail to listen when God speaks. Understanding this, the Word of God preserved in Scripture is God speaking to His church. Don't doubt that. Where did God speak? Within the pages of Scripture. Do you want to know what God says? Read the Bible. It sounds pithy. It sounds smug. It sounds arrogant. It is absolutely true. And it's, Brother Brian, not my truth, but God's truth. He has spoken. He has completed the canon. God has said everything He needs to say to us. Everything for righteousness. Everything for obedience. Everything for glorification to God. Everything we need to do know for instruction is right here in front of us. If there's one way to derail a family, to derail a life, it's to live it by laws that are not God's laws. And by priorities that are not God's priorities. To ignore the Word of God is to take the fate of those I love into my hands and not place them firmly in the hands of God. To fail to listen when God speaks is a manifestation of our wicked pride. Why don't I listen? Because I'm prideful. Why don't I listen? Because I know better than God does. Why don't I listen? Because I want my way and I don't want God to have His. That's why I don't listen. It is a manifestation of wicked, destructive pride. And it's the surest way to ensure that we will face the chastisement of the Lord. If I want the hand of God against me and not for me, don't listen when He speaks. Don't follow the rules of the Bible. Don't read, don't study, don't meditate, don't pray, don't do what God commands. If I want God against me and not for me, if I want God disciplining me and not blessing me, then what should I do? Ignore God. Simply put, ignore Him. Everything that we are, intelligence, work ethic, reputation, etc., will be wasted because only our God can bring an increase to our efforts. I've talked to a lot of gentlemen recently. A lot of us, uh, Brother Brian, Brother Kyle, planted gardens, um, labor of love. Um, It's been fun because I've had time to do it. I'm not saying it looks good, but it may grow, which would be great. I'm not much of a farmer. But whether I'm much of a farmer or I'm one of the gentlemen around here that has forgotten more about farming than I'll ever know, only God can make it grow, right? Farmer's son, only God can make it grow. Because you can do everything right and it won't grow and you can do everything wrong and it will. Only God can bring an increase. Only God can bless our efforts. No matter how smart we are or how talented we are or how driven we are, doesn't matter Unless God brings an increase. Only God can bless our lives with plenty. Financially, familially, or relationally. Only God can give that. Only God can. I can derail it, Brother Brian. But only God can give it. Only God can bless it. So that's the first one, number one. Number two, the commitment uh, to the path of God for our lives must be the foundation of every Christian home. And these Christian homes form the spine of this or any church committed to the gospel. The psalmist writes in Psalm 127 verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Specifically, we have highlighted tonight the impact of the, on the family, mainly because for, for the first time in a long time, for the church, their focus has been the nuclear family. We have been... Um, forced or blessed or whatever to focus on wives, on husbands and husbands and wives and on our children, on our parents to a broader sense because many of us are meeting the, helping to meet their needs also. That's the family. That's the nuclear family. The Bible speaks to the family of God, speaks to the church family, but spends page after page after page after page speaking to the blessings of the family. 
The one that dwells in your house. And the fact of the matter is, if we're trying to build homes, individual Christian homes that will make up the, uh, a powerful church, then the only way those homes can be built is if the Lord builds them. So many people out there right now are trying to build their home financially. They're trying to build their home through, uh, through uh, recreation. They're trying to build their home uh, as a palace in beauty. And they're going to fail. Because unless God builds that home, it's never going to work out. And I'll be honest with you, brothers. The worst part of it is we may get exactly what we want out of that. We may get all the money in the world. We may get all the fame in the world. We may get power. We may get beauty. But we'll never get Christ that way. And what we'll build won't be lasting. What we'll build will wind up being a curse. What we'll build, we'll spend our lives trying to protect. Because we tried to earn it. And God has no stake in it. Our attempts to provide stability and prosperity for our homes are worthless unless Christ is the center of our activities and the focus of our efforts. There's a call here today and that is to refocus every single home in the church back on Christ. Refocused on our Lord. Only Christ can build a home and only He can watch over it and guide it. Only He can build it for us. I can't build it. I'm petitioning my Lord to build it. And I'm petitioning my Lord to watch over it. i just tell you this much. As evil as the world is right now, there's not enough guns. We have 300 million guns in this country. And you want to know something else? Not anybody that's got hundreds of them in their home is safe. Not safe at all. They can't protect themselves. But I'll tell you this much. If Christ protects you, you can leave your doors open. If Christ protect, protects you, you, you can sleep soundly. There's not enough guns to protect us, folks. But the Lord Jesus is protection. There's not a single hair on our heads that will perish tonight if God protects us. And we can arm ourselves and rob ourselves of sleep and stay awake all night to try to guard. And Brother Brian, it won't do any good, will it? it? won't do any good. Only Christ can build a home and only He can watch over it and guide it. To bring glory to our Savior is the only proper aim for the families of this church. Bring glory to our Savior. That's what we aim to do. Three, the foundation of our very lives must first be laid in Christ Jesus, which is New Testament salvation through the preaching of the gospel. So there's another call here besides a call for the home, a call for us to preach the gospel. Because if, if lives are going to be founded squarely on something, they must be founded on Christ. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, 10-11, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Like each one, excuse me, let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Paul laid a foundation of preaching of the gospel to the Corinthian church, which was the gospel, the preaching of New Testament salvation to the lost world, which bore fruit and made converts. And now someone else has come in and they are building on that foundation of the gospel. Paul laid the foundation in Corinth by preaching the cross. By doing as he said, knowing nothing but Jesus and Him crucified. Paul was one note Charlie. All he knew was Jesus and Him crucified. All he preached was repentance and salvation. That is it. No church, family, or life can flourish upon any other ground than the gospel of Jesus Christ and His finished works. If we want to get started today, if we want to lay the very first stone in a foundation, that stone has to be Jesus Christ, 
Him crucified. That has to be the gospel. Everything in my life, everything in your life, everything in the lives of our family must be built upon the gospel. If it's not, it is built on shifting sand. It is built on a foundation that can be destroyed. That is where construction begins on Christ. If your life is not rooted in the gospel, if you have not repented of your sins and believed, if you have not been born again, then you have no life at all. You have only death, only wrath, and only judgment. Today, I implore you, build your life on the solid rock of the gospel. Hear the gospel. Repent of your sins and believe. Then finally, when life is built upon the solid rock of Christ Jesus, then that life is no longer in peril daily, but destined for the kingdom and protected by the king. The wonderful thing about having life in Christ Jesus built upon the gospel, Brother Kyle, built upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ, is that now we have nothing to fear. If my life ends today, so be it. If your life ends today, then so be it. I promise you, brother, I will. I love you as a brother, and I will weep for you. But the reality is, this is that you won't weep for you. Would you are the one who should be weeping for me because you will have gone to your reward, and if it's me, I will have gone to mine. My life is protected by the King, and so is yours. And when He demand, when my soul is demanded of me that day, I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear at all. Paul teaches in Ephesians 2, 19-21, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in which the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Look, live constructed upon the Scriptures whose focus is Christ. And nothing else. Those kind of lives are built infinitely solid and everlastingly durable. Here's the reality. They won't last forever on this earth, but they will shine forever eternally. Because they're built on Christ. They're not built on this world. They're not built on foundations that are here. They're built on foundations that cannot be destroyed. That cannot be washed away. Because the foundation is the chief cornerstone. The stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. The stone rejected that became the cornerstone. Jesus Christ. By this work, we grow into the holy temple of the living God. The church eternal. By the work of Christ that begins at salvation. That is founded on the gospel. On repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. By that work. By life that's founded on those principles. That unites us with our Lord. And unites us with the kingdom. Gives us kingdom citizenship. That right there gives us what? a Makes us into a holy temple of the living God. And makes us into an eternal church. And that's who we are today. And if you're in Christ, that's who you are today. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity, God, to come and to preach this. And I pray, Father God, that I've preached it accurately. Father God, I love you and I thank you for it. Father God, I thank you for this psalm. I thank you for that one verse, Father God, that just was that just haunted me today, Father God, and it, that led me, Father God, in, into every bit of this. And I pray, Father God, that it was absolutely your leadership, Father God, to, to make this happen, Father God. And I pray, Lord, that, that not only the gentlemen that are with me, Father God, but all who've heard me tonight have been blessed by it, Father God. I pray, God, for a revival of family. I pray, Father God, for a revival of focus on the gospel, Father God. I pray, God, for a numerical revival, Father God. I pray, God, that there are people out there who realize their lives are focused not on Christ and not on the finished works of the cross, Father God, but on the shifting sands of this world. 
world, Father God, and they're sick of it. And they're, they're rejecting that, Father God, repenting of their sins and believing. And I pray, Father God, that their families today, right now, Father God, that are falling in love with you again, Father God. And for that reason, Father God, they're now loving each other, Father God, in an eternal way. That the gospel is being preached, Father God, in the home church. It's being lived out there, Father God. That this isn't a time of despair, Father God. God, but this is a time, Father God, in which your people, God, are arising. Arising, Father God. We're not trampled down and beaten down, Father God. We are a people rising today, ready, Father God, to display to the world the glory of the living God. We love you, Father. And I ask you, please, God, uh, the bloody cross, the empty tomb, Father God, and a throne on high, Father God, is what people are being summoned to today, Father God. Please bless us now, God. In the name of Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen.